Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Tonight, on purpose, I want everyone to be looking in a Bible. Forget the screen. You don't have to worry about that anymore. There are Bibles under the pew. There are Bibles next to you. You can slide over there next to somebody. Might give an excuse to do that. Just get a Bible. And we're going to spend a few minutes in Scripture. There are a number of topics at the beginning of this year that those who shepherd this flock have said, we need to discuss Bible authority on these topics. These are topics, every one of them this year have been topics that are in some way, uh, somewhat controversial. By definition, they are topics uh, that produce discussion and disagreement among many people. They are topics that demand that we go to Scripture and give God's statement for those particular issues. Like any discussion of topics, any discussion of questions or issues that might arise, we need to have the proper mentality when we go into the discussion. The first mentality is this. The Bible speaks, and that is where we begin. We have to, in any discussion, in any research, in any deep study... We do it better if we are able to set aside what we already believe that might cloud our understanding in order to get what Scripture teaches. And having done so then, to take what we believe and merge it with Scripture, changing not the Scripture, but what we believe to whatever degree Scripture demands that we do it. Number two. We approach any of these topics with the same mentality. God is the final judge. I don't want the job. I doubt that you want the job. And therefore, it is not my job to stand and say to anyone, you are lost and on the way to hell. You are lost and on the way to hell. That's not my job. I am a I do have the job of standing before people with Scripture and saying, Thus says the Lord. I have no problem with that. And so whenever we discuss topics, we must leave God in the judging business. Okay, so what is our business? Our business is the informing business. The informing business is to present what God teaches. Desiring to understand it to the very best of our ability. There is no topic that I have ever found that I have figured out every detail about. There is no topic that I have ever found that I am unwilling to discuss with anybody who wants to discuss it. Because that discussion 
leads me either to a greater conviction of what I believe and therefore what I understand God to teach, or it leads me to say, I need to change something. I need to alter what I believe. I need to readjust to be what Scripture actually teaches. And I thought I was there, but I'm not. So we should never be afraid of a discussion. So when we discuss Scripture, we discuss it from that standpoint. Any topic, doesn't matter what the topic is. But we would be people guilty of sticking our heads in the sand if we do not acknowledge that the issue, the discussion, the question that is before us tonight is a very controversial question. It's a very difficult issue. I do not plan to be able to say when we finish that I then can sit down with anybody who wants to know and I will say, you're right or you are wrong. What I do plan to be able to do is to say, here is what Scripture teaches. And I think that if we are all honest and if we want to do what God tells us to do, then honest people can take what God's Word teaches and apply it to their own lives. And it is left up to all of us to apply it to our lives. Like any other area of life, God doesn't want His church to hire private detectives to run around and make sure that everybody is walking lockstep with what is taught from this pulpit. That's not the job. It is the case that what is taught here is what those who shepherd this flock say is going to be taught. That's just how it is. I don't know any other way to be. It may not be taught exactly the same way in every place. But this is how it's taught here, whatever the discussion is. Because I assure you, on anything that has any kind of question or controversy, these men and I discuss it. And we are on the same page, by and large, with these issues and these things. So let's just look at Matthew 19 for just a few minutes. We begin in verse 3. Now if you look at the setup of this text... This text is structured this way. There is a question and an answer, a question and an answer, a statement and a response. That's how it is laid out. The parallel text is Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 12, both having the same context. Verse 3, here is the question. Notice, the Pharisees came to him testing him. They did this a lot. The question here is, why would they test him? Let me suggest they may have been testing him first to see if he knew the law. The Pharisees were the law people. They were the ones who knew it. They are the ones who claimed to sit, as Jesus would say later in Matthew 23. They are the ones who sit in Moses' seat. In fact, Jesus said, whatever they tell you to do, do it. Why? Because they know the law. 
And so I can see these Pharisees. They, they would come up to Jesus in, a, in an arrogant way and want to test him. Let's just see if he really knows the law. A second way he might have been tested. These Pharisees might have been thinking. Now we've heard some things that make us believe that he's trying to change the law. Let's just see if he's going to agree with what Moses said. After all, what Moses said, now that's the truth. You can't be changing it. So I don't know which of these tests they were applying. Maybe both. But in either question, either way you go, they ask a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Now, the translation I use, the New King James, uses an italicized word, for just any reason. It then, using that word, makes it sound like someone can say flippantly, um, had enough, I'm leaving, get out. That may not exactly be what the Pharisees were saying. They might have really been asking, say, now, did Moses give any freedom to divorce at all? Is that something that ought to be happening? The reason I wonder about that is because I get the hint from that when Jesus made his answer. Have you not read? See, he's going to verify that he knows the scripture. He's going to quote it to them. What does he quote? He doesn't quote Moses, does he? He doesn't go back to the old law, does he? He goes back to the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, I made them male and female. Notice what he said next. Verse 5. For this reason. Why did he make them male and female? For the reason that they could get married. That's what he says. Therefore, as an aside, the only right that anyone has to marry is if you are male and female. Period. God gives no right for anybody else. For this reason. He then says, marriage is this. A man shall leave his father and mother and notice, be joined his wife and the two shall become one flesh. God said, I made them male and female for the purpose that they could marry and become one. That's why, verse 6, they are no longer two, but one. Notice then, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus, can we divorce for any reason? Now, wait a minute. Don't you know the law? Not the Mosaic law. The law. From the beginning, God created marriage. And he created it so that people would be together and stay together. Jesus' answer. 
goes from Genesis 1 and 2 to Malachi 3 and verse 15. God hates divorce. See what he did? You see what Jesus did in answering the question? He went to the beginning of the Old Testament and he started and he ended at the very end of our Old Testament, not theirs. Their Old Testament ended in Nehemiah. But as far as prophets and how it was set up, it is the end of the Old Testament. God hates divorce. The theme of the Old Testament. Now the theme of the new era that Jesus is talking about. God made people to get married and stay married and he hates divorce. That's what he said. And they understood the answer. Because they said. I can almost see them Maybe they get a gleam in their eye. We've got him. We got him. Jesus. Why did Moses command to give a certificate or a writing of divorce and put her away? You said God intended for them to get married, stay married, and God hates divorce? Aha! Moses proves you're wrong. Jesus said, no, Moses doesn't prove that's wrong. Moses doesn't prove that what I have stated from the beginning to the end is wrong. Moses proves this. You people are hard-hearted. <laughs> that's what it proves. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, allowed you to put away to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Okay. What are you saying, Lord? It's obvious what's happening in his text. He began with the general principle of God. And then he's taking that general principle and he is going back and he's considering what God allowed for a time. But from the beginning, he said, it was not so. Look at the phraseology. From the beginning, and then verse 9, and I say. In other words... For a time, God said, I will allow this. Why? Because the people were hard-hearted. And in truth, God allowed it in order to protect the women. Deuteronomy 24. That's where Moses laid it out. And he laid it out this way, he said. God's allowing this to happen because you're hard-hearted and I'm going to protect these women. I can see it in the text. If a man puts away his wife 
And she goes and she marries another. And then he puts her away. She's not allowed to go back to the first one. Why? Why would God have said that? He's protecting those women. This man has already mistreated you. He's already sent you out. He's already left, left the marriage. You don't need to go back to that. God is saying, I'm going to take care of the women. You can't have her back because you're going to abuse her again. To the Jews, in the Mosaic period, God made an exception to his law. That's not the only exception he made. He didn't like it either. But he allowed men to have more than one wife in the Old Testament. So how do we answer that? How do we clear that up? I think it's in Acts 17. And in verse 31, while preaching there on Mars Hill, Paul made this statement. He said... The times of this ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. In other words, Paul was saying there was a time when people in ignorance did things that God did not approve but that he overlooked. But not anymore. Not anymore. So their attempt to get Jesus caught hasn't turned out very well. Because the principle of God still stands. How do I know that? Because of verse 9. Jesus said, And I say to you, let us, with clarity of mind, merely read the verse. Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, the disciples have been listening to this question and answer. And they got it. They understood what Jesus was saying. I know they did because their next statement betrays their understanding. Here's their statement, verse 10. If such is the case with the man and his wife, it's better not to marry. Under the Mosaic law, could they divorce their wives? Yes, absolutely. God didn't like it. We allowed it. 
They just heard Jesus say something that made them pause and say, wait a minute. If what we're hearing you say is right, we better not get married. Why would they say that? Because they have heard it. They got it. They understand it. They just heard Jesus say what God allowed then, he's not allowing anymore. And their reaction is interesting. Oh no, we're stuck. (laughs) That's sad. In fact, I heard a case where that very thing happened. Where very soon after the wedding day, one of them says, I don't want this anymore. I'm stuck. I don't want to be here. You see, the disciples didn't have any problem figuring out what Jesus said. They got it. Their solution was, just don't get married. Because if we get married, we're not going to be able to divorce. And I might have to live with that woman. And I don't want to live with that woman, maybe. That's what they're saying. I don't think any woman at the time should have married any one of them men while they had that attitude. Wait until the change. So Jesus responded to their statement. All, verse 11, cannot accept this saying, but only to those to whom it has been given. In other words, guys, listen, he says, Not everybody can do that. Not everybody's going to be able to say, okay, I just won't get married. In fact, Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a statement based on this very idea, it is better to marry than to burn. That's what he's talking about. He's saying... Some people have to get married. In fact, the vast majority of people need to get married. That's okay because that's how God made it. It's okay. But then he went on to say, here are the ones who can observe your statement. One, eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. Two, eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. Three, eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Accept what? Accept your statement. It's better not to marry. Who then can observe their statement? Eunuchs. Those who don't burn. Maybe from birth. Maybe from an act of men. Or maybe those 
who for higher cause have subjugated that part of life in order to remain faithful to God. That's what Jesus said. One of the reasons I wonder if they might have brought up this question to him out of the blue. They may have heard his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32. Because in the middle of that sermon about a whole different number of things comparing the old to the new and saying, this is how you mess the Old Testament up and I'm going to tell you how to do it right. One of the things he said was, not a man put away his wife. In fact, he there says, and he causes her to commit adultery if she marries another. One of the reasons why Jesus said, you don't need to do this is because you put that spouse in a position of being wrong if they then go and marry when they should not. Because God hates divorce. He doesn't want you to divide up this home. Now, If we buy the principle that the Bible does not contradict, then we must buy the principle that whatever this text teaches is not contradicted by any other text in Scripture, but rather supplements, deepens, maybe explains the application of this principle. 1 Corinthians 7 is that passage. It addresses a number of issues that the Christians were dealing with. One of the issues was, should we get married? There was a great persecution taking place. And Paul said, still in that society where uh, the men ran things even more, And women did not have place in society. He spoke to a man who had a daughter who was unmarried. And he said, if you want to give her in marriage, that's fine. But you know what? It might be better during this present distress that you not do that. Because whoever gets married during this time is going to be torn because they care about the spouse. But there's great persecution going on as well. They might both be better off living at home. There was the question in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. What happens if one of the couple obeys the gospel and the other one does not? What do you do? Do we send them away? No, he said. No, in fact, because of you, the Christian, still in that Christian, in that marriage, you have placed a, a, a Christian perspective now in that family. And your children can be raised with that Christian perspective. And that spouse of yours might actually obey the gospel if you stay with them. But what happens if they just run off? Well, then they run off. You're not required to tie them up and make them stay home. Can't do it. But the principle is God hates divorce. 
Here's what I understand from this text. Because God made them male and female, for the purpose of becoming one flesh, it is the breaking of the bond of one flesh that is the only thing that God allows for the breaking up of a family when God says, I hate divorce. And if a spouse is unfaithful in that way, and this faithful spouse chooses to stay with them, chooses to work it out, chooses to keep that relationship going, God bless them. That's perfectly fine. They're not required to send them away. But because that one flesh part of life is the most intimate relationship on the face of the earth, Jesus said, when that is broken... You have the right to set them aside and marry someone else who is marriable. That's what it says. That's what Jesus expects. That's how to start in answering the question. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. The thing that makes it tough is because so many things happen in life and so many tough things happen in life. And it's hard to figure out all the nooks and crannies of situations that people get themselves into. And I'm sorry for that. That's between those people and God. I know this. Beyond shadow of doubt, I know this. And I have no problem saying this, mainly to this group and to this group. If you decide right now that you're only going to marry a child of God who believes what you believe, you have a much better chance of staying married for the rest of your life. Because you go to that marriage with the same principles. And I know this. It is our job as individuals to apply the word of God to our own lives. I'm not a police force. Those who shepherd the flock are not police force. But I can promise you this. We are a listening and counseling bunch. I'll talk and listen and try to help you work through not just this thing, but anything that comes up where the Bible needs to stand supreme. Come visit with the shepherds. They will shepherd your souls. Because all of us have one goal in mind. Do the best we can to figure out what the Bible teaches and then live by it 
to the best of our ability, counting on the grace and the mercy of God through the blood of Jesus to forgive us when we mess it up. That's as far as I need to go. That's as far as I know how to go. That's the study. I pray that it will not only be helpful for that particular discussion, but that it will remind all of us to spend time in the Word and let the Word dictate what we believe. Okay. Not all things are that difficult. Not all things are that tough. Some things are just really not that tough. And one of them that's just not that tough, in my understanding, is to know that Jesus died for your sins and he will forgive those sins when you are obedient to his plan. And all he said was, if you'll believe in me and repent of your sins, you can be immersed and I'll take those sins away. That is so simple. That is easy. Anybody can do that who understands what God expects. Maybe you need to tonight while we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.